Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to not get why you would argue with strangers on the internet. And this is Burn Notice, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end where we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you knows knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us connections, questions, suggestions, compliments, and absolutely no criticism of any kind to burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. And as always, that is burnnoticed with a D. So what uh, strangers on the internet are you talking about? Are you talking about Twitter as a whole? No, no. That you tried to no. take down? Um, no, no, no. Actually, I'm talking about <laughs> turfs that are very mad at me on Tumblr. Oh, about your, your that, the, yeah, the I just girl did like a, twi- Yeah, post? I just did like a post. It was like not even that good a post. But turfs found it. And now like turfs are like constantly in my inbox. Mm. And like I felt much more of an urge to respond than I normally do. So, like, when people are being awful on the internet, and I was like, oh my god, this is how Brie feels all the time. I've actually kind of come full circle, and I've I've largely stopped engaging. Yeah. Because it's really toxic, and the only person who gets something out of it is them. Exactly. I mean, this is what I tried to explain to you for years. Mm-hmm. And here I am. And now, how, oh, 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 uh, how the turntables. Oh my gosh. But yeah, no, it was, it's just like... I suddenly get this, like, weird self-destructive urge (laughs) that comes out of, like, anger and, like, weird feelings about yourself to just, like, respond to everything. Yeah. The problem is, especially when it's something that's, like, they're attacking, like, an ideology or an identity, is that you're not going to change their mind. Oh, no, of course not. And so, like, what's the end goal? Because any anger that you give them, any snarkiness, like, they feel like they've won. Because their whole goal is to ruin your day. And the more time you spend with them, the more likely that is to happen. Exactly. Yeah. Which is... And even if your day isn't ruined, they will think it is. And you don't want them thinking that. Exactly. The best way to win is to not engage, and I hate that. Trust me. As you now know, our sisterhood of being internet trolls. And, like, to be fair, like, sometimes in the past, I don't know what it was about this particular time. It was just, like, the sheer volume of it. As opposed to, like, before, every once in a while, someone would just, like, say something shitty in my inbox or whatever and just delete it. Because who gives a shit? Mm Because, like, yeah, you don't give them anything. Mm -hmm. But there was, like, a certain amount. You hit the threshold. When I hit the threshold of, like, this is a lot. Yeah. No, I was like, it's a lot. Then yeah, because it's also just like you want to talk about a thing that's happening to you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this is a thing that's happening in my life right now, mm-hmm. and it's like weird and kind of emotional. So it's like weird to not talk about it at all. But it's, it's also like, how do you do that in a way that like doesn't give them anything? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think what I have found is that is helpful to me is texting other people the shitty things I want to say back, and then workshopping them. And like letting it, letting myself hone my, you know, vicious instincts, but in private so that I get the catharsis or not as much of a catharsis as we both know, the catharsis of actually engaging with them and consistently destroying every nonsense thing they have to say feels very good, but I still get a catharsis. I still get to hone my, my vicious words. That's the thing is I don't get the like... Catharsis, because again, you're not going to win mm-hmm. because ultimately there's no winning. This is the thing that I yeah. feel like a lot of like 
liberals and the Democratic Party don't understand. Oh, yeah. No, that there's there's absolutely no win condition for you. Yeah, the only win condition is, like, outnumbering these people and deplatforming these people mm-hmm. and just, like, winning, perhaps violently. Mm-hmm. Who knows? It just depends that, like, like, they're fundamental divides in, like, the things that you value. Mm-hmm. Like, wherein... Are you someone who values, like, equality, or are you someone who values hierarchical authority? Mm-hmm. And, like, sometimes those are just things that, like, you will never change someone's mind on. You can you can maybe try to change someone's mind about whether or not gay people are people, mm-hmm. but, like, you can't change someone's mind about whether or not they feel like there should be a strong man in charge. Mm-hmm. That's just a sort of thing that, like, is a fundamental need that some people have that there's no way you can get around. Also, like... At the point at which you're engaging with something, somebody on the internet or on a mass scale, it's much harder to impact change. That's why grassroots and local things exactly. are so important. Like, a stranger coming into your Tumblr inbox is not a person ripe for their mind being oh, changed. Oh, no, of like, course not. every once in a while it happens, you know, and you get to, like, publicize, like, I changed a troll's mind because uh, I called his mommy or whatever it exactly. is. But, like, odds are the amount of abuse you had to suffer to get to that one person's mind changing is not worth it. And, and also, so, most of... Most of those stories are fake. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you're not going to be able to change this person. Hopefully someone in their life is noticing this behavior and instead of being like, oh, that's just how they are, you know, might try to engage them. But at this point, like, there's nothing you can do. And to be fair, like, generally in interactions like this online, like, the goal is not even to change that person's mind as much as publicly model, like, a better behavior Mm -hmm. and, like, change the minds of people who are watching the interaction happen. Sure. But if it's in private, then that gets exactly. tough. Because it's like, do I publicize this conversation exactly. to be the bigger person, but also possibly get myself embroiled in more nonsense? And also, like, pa- platforming them while mm-hmm. doing that. And it's like, well, how much am I just, like, spreading dumb turf ideas around mm-hmm. even to dunk on them? Yeah. Or even to, like, signal their weakness or whatever? Right. Yeah. It's It's... it's I think the times I've seen it most successfully done is when inst- it's a, it's more of an aggregate conversation versus yeah. like, you know, platforming one nonsense person no, after another. It's like, that's just too much. And then you're, then you have to engage with all of it, but it's more like, Hey, so I've been getting messages like this recently. Let's talk about it. Exactly. Versus like yeah. the, the quick, you know, win of debating, debate oh, of me, course. you know? Yeah. Which is never been useful. No, nev- not a single time in the world. At all. Exactly. Never, ever has that been useful. Anyway, this is a fun energy to start with. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about Burn Notice. Let's talk about Burn Notice. What's this one about? I don't remember. So this is season six, episode 11. It's called Desperate Measures. It aired November 8th, 2012, and was written by frenemy of the pod, Michael Horowitz, and directed by Steven Sergic. So we are in safe hands. Safe, safe hands. Safe, safe hands. And uh, spoiler alert, I enjoyed this episode. No, I enjoyed it too. It's it's another one of those like high stakes stress, you know, we got to improvise a lot episodes and that's where Michael Horowitz thrives and that's where Burn Notice thrives. Exactly. I re- I remember talking to you last week or whenever we recorded last mm-hmm. and I don't think I said this on bike but I watched a little bit of this episode oh, like, yeah, yeah, two yeah. weeks ago uh, up until I realized that the whole episode the whole plot of the episode was going to be getting home mm-hmm. and then I stopped because I was like well I don't care as much about that. Oh yeah what did you hope it was? I mean I just hoped that we would get way more information and like move the plot forward more. Oh, no, no, no. No? That's question mark next week's role? I mean... Question mark, question mark? We'll talk mark? about next week next week. Yeah. 
That's gonna be on a sh- that's gonna be on my sh- a shirt that we sell. <laughs> spoiler alert. Still we'll talk about next week. Next week. Yeah, spoiler alert. We'll talk about next week. Next week. Uh, uh, okay, but the IMDb description, as we've kind of already alluded to, is that Michael and the team must evade a vicious drug runner and hijack a plane to escape Panama. So let's just jump into the let's weeds. Let's jump into the weeds. The first scene is a very high intensity scene where a very sweaty Michael Weston interrogates a handcuffed Tyler Gray about his relationship with Dr. Cox and about the death of Nate. And it sort of is like the first moment since Nate died that I remember that Michael theoretically cares about Nate dying. Yeah. <laughs> Which, again, this is not this episode's fault. This is the season as a whole's fault. But it feels like he only pulls out his emotions about Nate at, like, really critical moments. And right. otherwise, he seems fine and normal. And we there could be an argument about, like, he's compartmentalizing. But, like, he didn't compartmentalize about Fee. That was, mm-hmm. like, one note the whole time. We knew exactly how pissed he was that Fee wasn't there. And we watched how his, like, reality was warped by his, like, frustration and paranoia and all that kind of stuff. Nate is a convenient plot device who, like, we have to care about because of the blood relation. Otherwise, to be fair, though, no one does. Sometimes that's how family do. Right. But this show doesn't do that. Like, yeah, I think there would be like a better show could like even like interrogate that a little bit. Why he seems to kind of care about Nate, but not really. And mm-hmm. just like really kind of have him say, well, like, yeah, I didn't like Nate that much, but he's family. And so I kind of have to care about this. Right. Well, that's one direction they could go. The other direction they could have gone is what I'm proposing. That seems like they're sort of doing, which is the compartmentalization of like, I just, I saw how Fiona, you know, dealing with Fiona destroyed me. I'm going to try to deal with things, my grief better. But like, they're not doing that either. They're not it's doing just, that either. They're, they're just really talking. Like- they're just not talking about it until it's plot relevant to talk about it. And then all of a sudden the emotions come back exactly and it's very annoying but yeah so there's a very tense showdown michael basically like tries to kill gray sam intervenes and then jesse makes the point like not only are we not these guys like that's not what we do except for the times that it does uh-huh. uh times that we do do that usually that we let the bad guys shoot each other we don't generally shoot them we either explode them with a house or other item yeah. or we let me make them shoot each other michael please watch burn notice and get back to us. But also like we kind of need this guy because he's our only real proof that Dr. Cox is a piece of shit. And if we want to take him down, getting rid of our only lead and connection to him. And like the only real proof we have that he's doing some shady shit is probably not good. So Michael and Fee want to kill him. Sam and Jesse don't want to kill him. Tyler Gray sort of seems like he could take it or leave it. (laughs) He doesn't really want to be here, but like how he's not here, kind of irrelevant to him. I do think it's interesting how in the times when Fee can't be the moral center of the show, Jesse kind of steps up Mm -hmm. and fills that role. Yeah, And like Sam does that too sometimes. Well, Sam has a very, I feel like Sam is one of the more consistent characters of like, he's Alfredo Barrios Jr. Yeah, he is. He, He hates bad guys. He will protect any good guy. Exactly. And if there's not a clear-cut good guy, bad guy situation, then he maintains status quo. Exactly. So whereas, like, Jesse is a little less beholden to that. Mm -hmm. So, like, Jesse kind of gets to be the other moral center of the show. Sure. But in any case, he's alive. Tyler Gray is alive. Um, So that's the cold open. Like, the pre-cold open scene is kind of just a lot of, like, yelling and he killed my brother. And we're like, yeah, "Yeah, so? Yeah, it's not like... (laughs) No one liked him, Michael. (laughs) Remember? You didn't, you didn't like him. Yeah, none of us liked him. Don't you remember? He was a constant pain in the ass. Remember how many pizzas he ordered? <laughs> he ordered the, so the many. The man was asking for it. <laughs> he ordered 
I was gonna say he ordered so many pizzas, but no, he didn't. He did not order that many yeah, pizzas. That's I was just editing that episode the other day. <laughs> we talked about it for truly so long. It was worth talking about. Yeah, somehow in recording together, we record for generally shorter periods of time, but we go off the rails so much more. So like we talk less, but we talk we also talk less about burnouts. I mean, that's what you want though. Mm. I don't know what people want out of this podcast. That's fair. All I know is what I want out of this podcast. <laughs> Which is out of this podcast. No, I just want... I th- I think we're more interesting than the plot of Burn Notice. That's unfortunately not saying very much, but I'll take it as a compliment. Thank you. Also, uh, to Olivia, who emailed the Burn Notice podcast oh, right. uh, email, we're not... I hope you've listened to the podcast long enough to know that we're definitely not doing another weekly podcast. Not unless y'all start shelling out quite a bit of money. Um, But we might watch The Librarians for like a bonus episode. Maybe we'll just take the Bruce Campbell playing Santa Claus episode out completely out of context and just watch that. Because I've never I watched one episode of The Librarians and was like, this isn't for me. I think it like it doesn't look good. But it also might be a little bit more for me. Maybe. Well, you, I mean, it's it's by the leverage guy. It but is by the leverage it's, guy. It's just like they're trying to do leverage, but not. And like the cast isn't as good. Yeah. And the it's not as clear cut of like a thing they're doing. Right. It's a little more convoluted. Isn't it, and isn't it a little bit more? Yeah. That's the I or fantasy. Like that. Yeah, because it's a little more Indiana Jonesy, right? I that's I the, didn't watch as enough of it. I always got the impression that it was kind of Indiana Jonesy, and I'm always on board for Indiana Jonesy. Well, in any case, maybe we'll do that as a bonus episode, because I don't think we have any good ideas for bonus episodes between the final two seasons. That's another Frank's joint, right? Yeah, sure is. That that was the thing he was mostly working on when he was working with us, yeah. I think. He was taking a break from the librarians. My good friend Jonathan Frakes. But yeah, so thank you for your email, Olivia. We definitely are not doing a next podcast because this is a lot of work and we make we are actively losing money doing it. We we love you all. We like doing this podcast, but we're kind of ready for it to be done. It's been right. almost three years of our life at this point. It's too many years. I mean, that's a fun thing to say when we still have another season of the show to do. Well, it's, it's a short season, and, like, yeah. you and I have worked out our recording schedule to... <laughs> to the very end. To the very end. At which point, I will commit seppuku. Yes. Se- seppuku? I mean. And then I will continue working for, like, three yeah. or four months to get it all edited, and then I will also follow you into the Great Abyss. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anyways, post-cold open, uh, Madeline's neighbor comes a-calling because uh, her nephew called the neighbor uh, wanting to reach Madeline. And Madeline's like, oh yeah, my phone's on the fritz, bye. <laughs> just like takes the phone and closes the door in front of her neighbor who's like, wait, hey, that's, excuse me, my, it's my phone. Uh, obviously this is uh, Michael. He gives her a little bit of the context of like, we need to get out of Panama and Sam has a hacker friend that we need you to go get for us so that we can get back into the States safely. Don't trust Tom Card, aka Dr. Cox. And she's like, well, that." sucks because I have a meeting with him tomorrow where he wants to talk to me about something and Michael's like just play it cool please you have to play it cool or we will be all dead just go find the hacker play it cool I'll see you soon mom so in possibly our first boobies to mama Weston transition because usually it's like there's boobies at a party and then we go to like one of the guys or maybe Fiona this is I think someone who loves boobs exactly but I think this is the first time that mama Weston is at like a booby party 
It's like, I was not expecting to see her first. I don't, it's just like, I saw boobies and I was like, okay, I guess we're in Panama somewhere. And like, nope, nope, it's Miami oh. and it's Mama Weston. These are Miami boobies. These are Miami boobies. And Mama Weston finds Jack Dixon, the hacker, who, like, there is a level of familiarity that the show seems to have with this guy. Have we seen this guy before? Here's the thing. Is this the guy from that other episode where we were like, have we seen this guy before? I... I meant to look it up, but I didn't because it wasn't my episode. But yeah. I kind of assumed... I was hoping you would just remember so I didn't have to look it up. So, um, no, my memory is terrible. I'll I assumed that now. he was the guy from that other episode where we were like, have we seen this guy before? And we had not, but that we did see that he came back multiple times. Yeah. Because it was Sam's friend. and like, Oh, Sam... he comes back a lot. Yeah. He was an army of one. Was that the that one? That must have been the first one. It's in from 2011. Jesse asked Michael to sabotage a team of corporate spies, not knowing that they are planning a hostage situation. Meanwhile, Sam and Fee turn to an old friend to gather information Yeah, I about. think it was. Oh, yeah. It was that guy who, at the time, we were like, do we know this guy? <laughs> and it, no, we didn't. Yeah, they, but now we do. And he's so unmemorable that we were both still like, wait, <laughs> do we know this guy? Yeah, this is... Absolutely wild. Okay, yeah, I'm glad you remember that that because I forgot that that guy was a thing too. Yeah, he is such a he has such a forgettable face, Bernadette. You got to do more than this. He also has like nothing going on. No, like, has... Why is this not Barry? Right. It has to be not Barry for some reason. Mm-hmm. Like it has to be like they didn't have that guy. Right. But then they made the most generic possible other guy. Yeah. Like his only thing is that like. He seems to have, like, a rich dad, maybe, and, like, is a little bit of a coward. But that's yeah. nothing. That's every burn notice asset. Exactly. No, it's weird. There's nothing to this man at all. Yeah. Just like, is he, like, a friend of somebody's? Apparently, Sam's. No, no, I mean, <laughs> in the production. Oh, you mean in, in real life. In yeah, real life, like know. Matt Nix. Because Matt Nix keeps it in the family. We know this. We do know this. Putting aside, though, that this guy has the most generic face of all time. Like, they do nothing with the character. Like, at least Barry has something going on. Is it vaguely homophobic? Sure. But, but like, he has a look. He has a thing. Like, he is memorable. When we see him in his stupid little sunglasses and his Hawaiian shirt you and can, his spiked hair. You can write jokes about Barry. Mm-hmm. You can't write jokes about this guy that feel like... This guy jokes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if you're going to backtrack a, like this, that this guy is someone that Sam knows and then bring him back apparently six times, like for the love of God, do something other than like... Kind of squirrely. Yeah, like squirrely hacker guy, yeah. question mark. Who doesn't even like have like hacker vibes? No. It'd be one thing if he had like hacker vibes, but he, he doesn't have hacker vibes. He has like college junior vibes. Yeah, kind of. Like, he seems like he's in college. I mean, he looks a little old to be in college. No. He looks like a baby. But no, he looks like he's baby-faced. He looks like one of those guys that just kind of has a baby face, no matter how old they get. You know, kind of like Paul McCartney. Sorry, I was watching the Beatles documentary last night. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no interest Surprisingly good. I've heard that. Still have no interest. Yeah. It's a little bit like watching a Christopher Guest movie. I have no idea what that means. Like Best in Show? Who? Never mind. (laughs) It's actually a little bit like watching Spinal Tap, actually, because it's about rock music. I also don't know what that means. So, yeah. So the, the 
Mama Weston gives Jack Dixon the the down low. She remembers him, I guess, because she knows who she's looking for. The most generic guy on the pier. Um, and he tries to weasel out of it. The thing that he's trying to weasel out of is erasing a particular flight from Panama from the FAA records so that they can, like, come into the country incognito. Uh, but she's like, well, listen, if you don't help them and Michael gets back on his own, he's going to kill you. And if they don't come back because you don't help i will kill you so what are what would you like to do jack dixon person that we have a long history with apparently and he's like fine i'll help so i'm liking this already because i like when madeline threatens to kill people and i also like when madeline is so like embedded in the plot of the week uh-huh this is very fun for me what here's what I, also a, a thing that i will say about madeline in this week and next week but we'll get to next week next week <laughs> is that sharon glass is the only person who, in her performance, always constantly is carrying the death. Yes, I actually noticed that too. Even in the the, um, the next scene that she's in, uh, in a couple of scenes where she's doing her little bit to get Jack Dixon in, but like, there's like this deep sadness in yes. everything she's doing, and any time that like someone's not looking at her, she slips back into it, like. This woman is a national fucking treasure. She is. It's she has so much control over the emotions and like is layering them. I feel like most actors just like replace one with another, but for her it's like when she's doing a joke, there is a sadness underneath the joke that once the joke is over, she goes back to. Like she doesn't have a neutral. No. She has whatever Mama Weston is dealing with. No, exactly. No, I really... She is, like, the best actor on this show. Oh, And, like, I would love to see her in a thing that's, like, better. Worthy of her. Exactly. Is her... Is the cop show she was in good? What was the cop show she's in? Was was she in a cop show? Wasn't she? Isn't she, like... Oh, yeah, she's the other one, right? Because her... Cagney and Lacey? Cagney and Lacey, yeah. I never watched that, so I I have no idea that's good. That's right, I forgot that she was the other one. I knew that, like, Tyne Daly was in it. But I forgot she was the other one and that episode with Tyne Daly was like a reunion. Moving on. In a Panama bar, Fee and Sam try to scare up a flight for them to get out of the country. Uh, Sam is striking out, but then Fee does a little flirt and figures she can tell the guy with the shady cargo plane company, uh, or rather... Uh, this guy who is a pilot for his cousin's shady cargo plane company, that she has other passengers needing a ride as well once they get a little bit further away from where the airport is. Yeah. And this seems to work just fine. This is something that I kept thinking about this whole episode, and I don't care what the answer is, because, like, I enjoy the episode, and I don't, I, I think that I'm being needlessly picky, but, like, for especially smaller planes, isn't it super important to know, like, the weight of the cargo and, like, passengers and stuff? Because, like, if it's even a little bit off, like, their whole trajectory is fucked. I Like, that's been a thing in past cop shows, I know, is, like, a there's an unexpected dead body in the trunk and it like throws off the plane's trajectory or something. And like, I mean, are they already in the air? Cause I feel like, no, no. Cause like if it's a dead body in the air, then the, the, the weight has been accounted for. But like when there is a diff, like a massive difference in weight in the expected flight and not like, it's like you have to be sitting equally on this, like the, the small plane, like there has to be people on both sides of it. Otherwise it fucks it. I think that's even a thing in commercial flights where like, they don't have an expectation of where people are laid out. Sometimes they will have to like relay people out in the seating map to right. make sure it's even. 
Am I making this up? I don't know. I have know literally nothing about planes, so I cannot speak to whether or not <laughs> this is true. Have you seen that in a previous like procedural though? Because I feel like they, I don't there's watch definitely... as many procedurals as you do. That's true. Um, and also, who knows if they're telling the truth? Exactly. Like, it might be a convenient bullshit forensics thing in those episodes too. But yeah, the whole time it was like adding four whole human beings to an unexpected, very small cargo plane feels like it might fuck something up. But I don't know. I don't know enough. But it and again, seems like there could be enough. What I, are you suggesting that adding four people on the plane means that it couldn't make it to Miami? Yes. Okay. Or like because of one reason or another, either it's because they miscalculated how much fuel they would need because it throws off like the weighting of the the plane so it can't take off as well or it's like teetering in the sky i don't know because again i don't remember exactly how this works but i feel like small planes have like really finicky weight issues and like if you want to add somebody you have to like take weight off it's kind of like a um a microcosm of what they have to do in space like if you if you take an extra pen on board a spaceship it'll like blow up the spaceship right every piece of weight has to be accounted for yeah, I do not know if someone is listening to this who knows about planes, they can tell us. Yeah, if we have any planes experts out there. Only planes experts, not planes enthusiasts. Yeah, I don't care if you fuck your model train after you build it. Like, unless you are an expert in aviation and can answer this question for us, I don't want to hear it. Pilots only. Yeah. And co-pilots and, like, that third guy who's there sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, plane fuckers, you can get in touch next week. But right now, I'm not looking for a plane fucker. Anyway. So speaking of plane fuckers, uh, the next day, the team, including plane fucker Michael Weston, stakes out said cargo plane company with their half-broken rifle scope, which they continue bringing back. I really like this little tiny piece of continuity that, like, it ends in this episode, but it's like, it's already, it's... Is it one episode it's carried over to? I guess one. Because, like, last episode, at the beginning of the episode, it was they had this cool rifle with this cool, amazing scope that's, like, not even yeah. on the market yet. And then they le- they end up, like, getting separated from the rifle, but they still have the scope. And then this episode, they still have the scope. And it becomes, like, a part of, like, multiple scenes. Yeah. I don't know. I just really like it. I like that, like, it's this, like, MacGuffin piece of Q technology at the beginning of last episode. And it has just become, like, a little bargaining chip. Yeah. No, I enjoyed that a lot. I don't know why it, it got to me. It's just, oh, this is fun. Yeah, I it remember fun. that. I like it when they they have continuity. Yeah, I like it when things are fun. It's, like, it's not just that there's continuity, but, like you've imbued this thing with a little bit of character on its own Mm -hmm. and like it has a history to it and so whenever it comes back it like calls back to that history it's it's a character now and it also reminds us that like they are truly working with so little right you know this is one of the few items that they have at their disposal to like make all of this happen exactly it is in their inventory Mm -hmm. and that is about it yeah and i like that a lot so they're starting to get suspicious because there are like this is an extra shady cargo ship company they still don't know like what this plane is for but like they're they're looking at the airfield and there are a baker's dozen armed guards on it and they're like well this seems bad (laughs) so the plan now is for fee to get walked past security with the pilot who likes her and then once they're on the plane and get past like the main airport compound like once they're on the runway then she'll pull a gun on the guy and get the doors open and the guys will run out to them and jesse's like okay but like 
what about, and Fiona's like, yeah, so you guys will just need to run once we're on the, the tarmac so that you can come, you know, get in the, tr- the the plane. And Jesse's like, yeah, but what about all the guys with guns? And Fee's like, I don't know, run faster. <laughs> and there's like a really cute little exchange between them. And it's very fun. It is really fun. And Jesse does his little like, oh, yeah, just run faster. Just run faster thing that he does after people say things to him that he doesn't like. Like, that's Jesse's kind of thing is he like repeats the bad advice. <laughs> A lot. Like, I've noticed that as a tick of his that I enjoy. It's a good tick. And I, I also like that Fiona is so like, you'll be fine. Just run fast. Who cares? It's like, we're, a lot of bad things happen to us, okay? <laughs> Jesse, you're, I know you're like part of the gang now, but you're still kind of new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get your shit together, Jesse. So, uh, Fee successfully flirts her way into the cockpit, which she really emphasizes. You notice that when she's in the cockpit with uh, what's his face for the first time, she's like, "Ooh, I've never been in a cockpit before." <laughs> did you notice that? I did not notice that, but it's funny. It was very pronounced, and she was like staring straight at the guy. I think his name is Rico. Is the pilot? Um, remember Rico the pilot is the cousin of the guy who owns this whole operation this will come back after she emphasizes cock she pulls a gun and as the plan you know they're they're halfway down the runway they the the doors open the boys run for it and of course the guards notice and come shooting them which would be fine except some of the stray bullets that uh, the you know the guards are shooting into the plane, hit something. It, we learn later it's like the communicator or something. Yeah, it's like, like a radio. It, it doesn't seem to be important for the plane necessarily, but just for other stuff. But then they, as they're like dealing with a small like fire related to the communication getting shot out, Tyler Gray makes his, gets his way free, which it feels wild to me that everyone just forgets about Tyler Gray as right. soon as he's on the plane. Like nobody's watching him. There's fucking I four mean, of you. I kind of understand a little bit in the sure, sense that, and it's like, fine, but like, like it's fine, y'all, because like you have a prisoner. They have a prisoner, but also, like, it would be wild for him to do the thing that he winds up doing, right? It, like, I think they rightly assumed that like they don't have a lot of time to deal with a lot of stuff right now, and, and like and the priorities, like the guys actively shooting at them, are exactly. more important than the guy that they have tied like, up in the plane. It's like and. Obviously, if he jumped out of the plane, those guys would probably just shoot him. So, like, he is safer with them, mm-hmm. theoretically. Right, but... Uh, that is the that is the calculation that they are making. Th- and that's totally fair. It just feels very <laughs> funny is, that there's, like, four of them in there and no one's watching Tyler Gray. Like, what's Fiona doing at this moment? W- why is Jesse helping Sam? Why? <laughs> like, what's happening, guys? But anyway, so Tyler Gray gets free. He does some punching of Michael. Tyler Gray jumps out of the plane and Michael, zero hesitation, jumps out after him. Fuck. Unfortunately, they're out of runway and they the, the plane's going too fast so Rico's like we gotta get the plane in the air otherwise we will all die so the plane flies off as Michael and Tyler Gray are behind uh at gunpoint oh no I legit this was a great I love this yeah this is very good I like it I like that they get separated I assume at this point that Fee and the gang are gonna get to Miami and then Michael and what's his name will need to scam a new way to get back to the States. That doesn't end up happening. But I do like that they've been separated and, you know, it's classic bad breaks shit. Enemies to lovers, Michael Horowitz. That's why I love Michael Horowitz. Yes, because he is our enemies to lover fanfic boy. 
So um, we get a quick little scene in the air where Rico's like, all right, well, I guess we're going to Miami then? Question mark. And he's like, absolutely not land this fucking plane. And he's like, okay. <laughs> so then we move on and we go to an underwear cocaine pa- packing plant. So some boobs, a new yeah, boob transition. There's, there is like a voiceover that explains that when you're packing cocaine, like you have to be in your underwear so it proves that you're not smuggling out the cocaine. Mm-hmm. But it just feels like an excuse to have, like, a lot of women in their underwear. Also, did you notice that there's a guy in the background who's also one of the cocaine doers who has full-on fucking baggy jeans on? Yeah, it's, it's like... It's only the women are in their underwear. Every man who enters or exits this room, even the ones actively working on the cocaine, are fully clothed. Yeah, it really... It's just like, gratuitous. Throw in some dudes! Show me a dong outline. Like, coward. Give us something. Yeah. Otherwise, we know you're perverts. And you're like heterosexual perverts, which is the, the worst, worst kind. kind of pervert. <laughs> Anyways. So, yeah. So, they, like, as soon as we see the women in their underwear, they get let out um, because it, this is also an ideal place to, like, keep prisoners because uh-huh. you know it's locked down pretty tight and it turns out this is why the cargo plane is so shady because it's a front for coke smuggling they're smuggling coke this is where they do the coke stuff the plane is how they get it to other places michael and gray sort of debate teaming up and gray is basically like um i'm gonna be fine on my own i think it'll be easier like negotiating with a businessman than a vigilante which so I guess that seems that seems to be his like main modus operandi is that like I jumped out of the plane because I feel like I can sell you out easier to these people who have like motivations I understand versus dealing with you and your team a bunch of like dangerous vigilantes. This will also come back later. Yeah. And Michael's like, you know that Michael Horowitz wrote this episode, right? It's it's bad breaks. We gotta you gotta work with us. And en- enemies to lovers. Time. Enemies to lovers. Enemies. Uh huh. Lovers. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's you and me. We're doing a lot of hand gestures that yeah. I don't think will translate. <laughs> but that's what it's like when you listen to our podcast. We're incompetent, dumb, dumb bitches. <sighs> I'm not going to debate that. Somewhere in a field, the plane has landed, and Sam has to fix the thing that got shot, which I assume they tell us at this point is a is, radio. is the radio, but I'm not listening because I don't care. The fee is tying up Rico, who is now certain that his cousin, the owner of the plane, will kill him. He shot my grandpa. He chopped off my second cousin. <laughs> like he's just like listing off close family members that his cousin has killed. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a couple of like dick jokes like that mm-hmm. where it's like. We're going to say dick, but no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So he, it's it's fun. I like that they, there's just like this rich history of these two cousins yeah. murdering people. In Panama, apparently they fool drug dogs by stuffing cocaine in fish, which doesn't actually come to anything, but is a neat detail, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's a, it's like I a ass- little detail. I assumed something would happen with that. Yeah, I, it didn't. It but, was more just like, I guess since the people on the plane didn't know it was cocaine yet, they just know that, like, that's a lot of firepower. We need to figure out what this is shipping so maybe we can use it to exchange. Exactly. And then they see that it's fish and are like, oh, it's cocaine. Right. Someone ha- They have to know somehow that they're dealing with cocaine dealers. Although, Rico is there to explain 
mm-hmm. that they're cocaine dealers. So I don't know exactly. Yeah, I don't know what this is for, but it's a cool bit of color. Yeah, it's a cool bit of color. And, you know, Michael Horowitz shit. Yeah. I would have liked the fish to come back. Like, maybe somebody, like, slaps somebody with a fish at some point, And then it turns out there's no cocaine in there anymore. And they've turned it... Like, I don't know. But... I just want to see Bruce Campbell slap someone with a fish. I just think that'd be fun. You're, see, you're Him the, you're or the, Jesse. You're the good kind of pervert. <laughs> you can't pin me down. You never know what I'm thirsting for. So they now need to get in contact with the cousin. Uh, Rico has given them a phone number, but apparently not the information that they're smuggling cocaine. Uh, so Sam and Jesse go steal a car. And they can radio. Oh, even oh, if yeah. they... Although, even if they could put it back together, that would give them their location. Right, yeah. There's a lot of reasons why, like, the radio is annoying that it's broken, but also it's probably useful that it's broken because now they can't be tracked. So Sam and Jesse head into town to try and find a phone, and Fee stays behind at the plane. Back in Miami, Maddie stays close to Jack Dixon, our our, hack, our long-term hacker friend, as he decides, as he, he goes and does an on-site hack, because, as you know from hacking... Uh, if you're, if you're on site, it's, it's yours or exactly. something like that. Yeah. There's, there's a kitschy phrase that we've heard before. But it's like total access. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. To- total access. Means- Insight access. On site access is total access. Yeah. There it is. That Thank you. Um, so he goes to the window to like check in on, he, they're at some building where the FAA does stuff. And it's like a small offsite thing. But he peeks in the window and then goes back to the car with Maddie and is like, sorry, I can't do it. And she's like, I'm sorry. And he's like, I usually go in when Albert's there, but Albert's not there, so I can't do it. And she's like, "That your whole plan can, hinges on one guy being here and you didn't even fucking call ahead. And he's like, I'm sorry, Albert's not here. And she's like, tell me everything you know about Albert. And I'm like, hell yes, Madeline's son used to be a spy. She knows what to do. And she does. So Madeline comes in and absolutely slays a jealous woman bit to distract the non-Albert security guard. The security guard's like, he's out boating. And she's like, yeah, up Lucy Peterson. It's like fucking graphic. It is. It's very, like, she, basically her bit is like, I know he's in here hiding. Like, all of my friends say that he's fucking Lucy Peterson. And so she basically goes from, like, room to room. Once they get to the room where she knows, uh, what's his name, Jack needs to access, she shoves a, like, burnt up cigarette into the locking mechanism. So it's sort of like tape over the door. Yeah. But with a cigarette, which I like. It's like like when, it's like when Michael does yogurt bits, she does cigarette bits. Character. Character. <laughs> and then she scopes. And then she <laughs> leads the guard away and Jack sneaks in and everything is fine. Back at the cocaine torture chamber, a torture device is ominously wheeled out, followed by the guy in charge. His name is Vasquez, and he's an actor who's been in like very many things. Yeah, he's, he's I recognize a very him bad from guy. like true like I went to his IMDB page, I'm like, I know I know this guy, and it's like, oh yeah, he's in everything. Yeah, no. And he's like a regular too, he's not like a character actor. He's like he's he has like long term stints on shows. Yeah, I know. So and he's great. Like he's great in this episode. Mm-hmm. Like he's a very talented guy. He's got kind of Raul Julia vibes. I don't know who that is. He was in that, the Adams Family movies. I didn't watch those. Those are good. You should watch those. I'm not really a spooky person. That's true. Like that's not my vibe. My vibe, as you know, because you walked into my home and there was an explosion of Christmas, is Christmas. It's Christmas. It's very Christmas in this house right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chris hasn't seen the house since Thanksgiving period. But when it was she, very Thanksgiving. It was very Thanksgiving. Not even that Thanksgiving, because there's not a lot to do for Thanksgiving. No, there's not. Although next year, I'm going to make some plans. But yeah, then she walks in and there's we've got our Christmas tree set up. It is November 28th, friends. 
and the Christmas tree is set up. There are like lights. There are holiday themed quilts out. It's cozy as hell up in here. It's great. And yet I'm wearing a tank top and drinking iced coffee because California is a hellhole. It really is. And I hate it here. I don't hate it here. I hate it here, but I don't hate it here. Does right, that make yeah. sense? Does that distinction make sense? No, that makes sense. Because all things considered, where I live right now is great, but oh, I yeah. wish it wasn't California. Right. Same. That makes sense. Yeah. So no, this is a nice little place to live where you live. Yeah. Where we live is awesome. Yeah. I, I haven't been to your area in a while, so I can't say one way or another. It's all right. It's fine. Yeah, it's, it's solid. There's a little bit of a back and forth, and then Michael just like straight up tells him their names. Like, hi, I'm Echo Weston. This is Tyler Gray. Our friends are going to get your plane back. I guarantee you're going to get a call from them soon. Just hold tight. <laughs> I promise this has been a big misunderstanding. And he's like, cool. Well, then why did this, why did you guys jump out of the plane if like you need to be together? And he's like, there was a misunderstanding. And then, um, Vasquez is like, that sounds like a fake story because you jumped out. And also because like, there's truly so, do you know how much cocaine was on that plane? You are worthless to whoever your team is. Like, there's no way they're going to trade you for this amount of cocaine. So tell me where the, the, the drugs are and I maybe will let you live through the night. This man does not believe in the power of friendship. No, he doesn't. So he, he does a little torture of Michael and he and, and then Michael and Gray kind of look at each other and make meaningful masculine eye contact. And then um, Gray also sort of tacitly like goes along with the like, we're not going to tell you anything thing. And then Gray gets a little tortured as well to so that they are in fact in this together. The meaningful masculine eye contact was important, though. They, like, looked at each other yeah. for a long time before Tyler's like, I don't know where the plane is. I'll forget. <laughs> In exactly that voice. Exactly that voice. If you don't watch Brenda's, Tyler Gray has a really thick southern accent. <laughs> but it hasn't been mentioned on the wiki yet because he's not playing an alias. No, of course. Or is he? So it's just normal. Yeah. In town, the payphone is busted, unfortunately, or at least the first one they find. So Sam and Jesse cheerfully scam a child out of his cell phone by using their last 20 bucks and the rifle scope. I mean, I don't know if they scam Well, they try to scam him. One of them tries. Jesse says, like, I can't believe we're about to steal a phone from a child. Yeah. (laughs) But then they, yeah, they end up just, like, giving him the money and the rifle scope. And the rifle scope is presumably a thing that's actually very expensive. I mean, it's broken at this point because they broke off the piece that like connects it to the oh, rifle. Remember? That right, was yeah. that was an important part of last episode. But in any case, the kid now is in possession of the rifle scope. But interestingly enough, rule of threes applies here. This is not the last time we see the rifle scope. It is not. But they get the cell phone and are, you know, on their on their way to rescuing Michael. So back at the cocaine torture chamber, Vasquez talks in Spanish for a little while. Michael is totally lost. Um, and then Sam finally calls to arrange the exchange. And Vasquez is like, all right, cool. Yeah, I'll send you proof of life photos right away. This sounds great. He doesn't question at this point, like, oh, I guess you were right. I guess they didn't care about my cocaine. He's just like, oh, I, I guess you were right. Um, yeah. Which is weird mm-hmm. because later Michael makes a play that like is like nobody cares about me. They're it's, yeah, <laughs> they're turncoats. Although Vasquez at that point does say like, well, I mean they are yeah, they no. are doing a lot to get you back. Exactly. It seems like it's a weird scene later where he's trying to make a different play. Mm-hmm. That's like, why are we making this play? This is a dumb play. Yeah, I mean, I you could probably I guess chalk it up to like 
Gray, who is about to do a turncoat, as if fucking masculine eye contact doesn't mean anything anymore. Maybe Michael has to kind of keep flexible. But the problem is, it's like, usually when he has to stay flexible, it has to remain consistent with the original thing. Otherwise, you just look like a liar. Exactly. <laughs> but that doesn't seem to matter at this point, which is too bad. That That's the one thing about this episode is like the sort of changing goalpost of what Michael's story is while being tortured is a little bit inconsistent. Yeah. Normally, it would be a little tighter than that in a Horowitz episode. It's not episode ending. No, no, like, not at all. You know, I would have liked to see how he rode that line, especially because it is such a big part of like, yeah. why Vasquez initially tortures him. This is, yeah, this is actually not an episode about Michael being competent. No, interestingly enough, it's yeah. not. It, well, it sort of is. Because that it, his competence is tied up in his honor, which is what eventually convinces what's-his-name I mean, there's lots of people who have honor but are incompetent. Yeah, but that's never been a part of the story. Anyways, we'll get to it when we get to it. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Our other tagline. So yeah, so so great turncoats and it's like, they're headed to Miami. There's only a couple of ways they could go. I will help you find this plane. And Michael's like, fuck, damn it, Gray, what the fuck? So Gray, still handcuffed, this is important, um, helps triangulate where the plane is with Vasquez, the bastard, but is still handcuffed with Michael until the train is tr- plane is truly found. So like he basically offers some suggestions and then gets chained up again. And we learn that, of course, Gray is actually a really good guy who is now just trying to finish his mission. And Michael's like, what the fuck? Why are you getting us all killed? Like, there's no reason for this. And Gray's like, well, I'm finishing my mission. I was sent to Panama to kill you all. I will do that one way or another. It seems like this guy also wants to kill you. So it works out. And it turns out. It's unclear. Like, I feel like the show cannot make up its mind on Gray's deal. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like the show is constantly flip-flopping on Gray's deal, where he is, like, a terrifying psychopath, or he's just, like, a guy trying to do his job. Who told us that he was a psychopath? I mean, the original guy who told us he was a psychopath was that guy who got shot. I guess that's true. Like, no. But I wonder how much of that is, like, a, uh, like, his cover while he's doing sort of off-the-book CIA jobs. It's... Because it feels like Card really sort of plays up... That he is scary. Yeah. And might be renting him out as a scary guy because that's like a useful asset to have. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, he's just pretending to be a big scary guy. But like... But also though, but that's not totally inconsistent because in the last episode, he's just like killing dudes left and right. Like he is being like straight up like... He has a license to kill. He has a license to kill, but like there's like a bit where like... He, like, uses a body to shield himself and then shoots the other guy. Like, they're really playing up Oh, last that's true. Week. I forgot about that. Yeah, no. They're, last week, they're really playing up that he's, like, an actual monster who just kills people willy-nilly. I mean, I guess, like, they're just, like, local mercenaries. They aren't also CIA people, so maybe he just is, like kind of Sam Axie about it all. Maybe. <laughs> it's like, if they're, not, if they're not red-blooded Americans, they can get their fucking shit shot yeah who cares yeah exactly i'm tyler gray (laughs) it's my southern accent (laughs) this is my normal accent (laughs) yeah it's it's there's a lot of things that are inconsistent about um gray which are not this episode's fault again like i I feel like we have to say that a lot because it's it seems like the lack of consistency on what the fuck's happening with this season is making otherwise 
pretty fun episodes, a little bit confusing to follow, (laughs) which is too bad. And I think, I really do think that a lot of it has to do with whatever was going on in casting. Like, Lauren Stamuel left a little earlier than it sounds like they intended. They needed to kill Anson off a little bit earlier than intended. Nate got killed for some reason. There's... There's Something huge, is going on. There's in a production. huge shakeup going on behind the scenes right now. Like there has to be, because like, and they're just trying to scramble and get it all done. Yeah, because like no one would choose to make it like this. Mm-mm, not even Bird Notice, who we know can drag out nonsense for seasons and seasons and exactly. seasons. Exactly. Like you know, this is one thing where I'm I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Right. I feel like it could have been handled better. But I also respect that a lot of times this sort of stuff doesn't happen until, like, it's kind of too late. So you sort of have to just figure it out. It's not like you can re-break the whole season. Right, yeah. I get that. But it's still frustrating. I would love to know. As a viewer. I would love to know what was going on. Me too. Unfortunately, we're too mean to Matt Nix, even though I have, like, a direct line to him at this point. Whoops. Sorry, Daddy. But not sorry. Season was bad. I mean, it's good enough that I watched it several times and now have a podcast about it. And I like a lot of what Burn Notice does. Season one's bad. The season was bad. And I do not regret saying that it was bad. Saying that it was bad. I mean, honestly, yeah, we say that season one is bad. I think, like, we've made a lot more substantive critiques of Matt Nix's character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but those happen late enough that, like, anyone who's like, oh, I want to listen to this Burn Notice podcast. And that's fair, but... They're not going to listen to our deep analysis of APB and what it but says the about thing, the psyche of Matt Nix. But the thing is that, like, I feel like if we ever talked to Matt Nix in person, it would be disingenuous to, like, pretend like we haven't said all these terrible things about him. You know I, mean, I mean, definitely. Yeah. I think the problem is we probably would have had a chance to talk to Matt Nix in person had we not said all this other stuff. But like, yeah. That's the important caveat is that like we actually had a chance to talk to many, many people and blew it instantly. Because we're us. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is a lot of your fault. I'm blaming you. Anytime, if I don't make it anywhere in my career, it's your fault. It's funny you should say that because I was just thinking, well, it's really her fault. (laughs) Because it was my idea to do this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like normally I'm the one who's like trying hard not to like stoke the... No, you, later on that happened. In the first season, you were a shitster. That's true. I actually asked, I was like, do we want to be this mean? That's true. That's very true. (laughs) And you were like, yes, it's comedy. That's fair. So. mm, I'll take that. We're both at fault. We're both at fault. Sorry, daddy. Sorry, daddy. But not really. Where did we leave off? Where am I cutting to? Oh, right, right, right. So yeah, so something's going on with Gray. It turns out he's actually a good guy in all caps. And uh, Dr. Cox gave him a file on Michael that's basically like probably the same-ish file that got him burned. And Gray seems to think that he's eliminating national security threats and not just like four people who are just doing what needs to be done. And Michael's like, wait, what the fuck are you talking about? Why would I work with Anson. I also don't know why he didn't bring up that, like, Fiona was in jail. That feels like the most clear-cut, like, I had to get Anson to get Fiona. Why do you think Fiona was in jail, and why do you think we got her out? Because that feels like the part of the story that would be hardest to fuck with. Yeah. In terms of, like, the Dr. Cox deal. Exactly. I don't know. I think, like, well, I mean, it would make sense if, like, Fiona was terrible, because they're all terrible. The CIA got her out of there. 
Specifically, Dr. Cox got her out of jail. That's true. And then the CIA called on her to help. That's true. Yeah, no, I don't know. That's weird. Like, maybe yeah. he glazed over that in Again, the Again, I feel like Michael's not on his game in this episode. He's really not. I mean, he's very sweaty and very upset because, I don't know if you heard, but his brother died, like, eight years ago. And he Wait. seems to be finally, it finally came out that he's upset about it. He's got a brother? He did. Oh, wow. Not anymore. He's not dead anymore? <laughs> Nate comes back from the dead. Turns out this is a supernatural show after all. But yeah, Tyler Gray thinks that he's doing like the honorable thing by turncoating Michael. And Michael's like, well, who told you about all of the bad stuff that I've allegedly done? And he's like, well, Dr. Cox. And he's like, well, don't you think that's fucking convenient? And he's like, mm, I don't know. I don't even think he's a medical doctor. <laughs> he wants through a chair, through a window. And everyone's like, yeah, that's just how he is. There's some shit that goes on on Scrubs, my favorite show of all time, that is like, it is wild that they let any of these people anywhere near patients. <laughs> this should not be allowed. I mean, just the other day I listened to a podcast about like a guy who just pretended to be a doctor for years and years and years. And it seems like there's just not a lot of oversight. There's a television show about a guy who just pretends to be a lawyer for years and years and years. I know. I don't even know which one it is. It's called Suits. It's, yeah, And it's people suits. want us to do a podcast about I know. it. Back in Miami, Maddie goes to meet with Dr. Cox on the mainland to pretend that she hasn't heard from Michael. Cox doesn't really believe her, but she persists and seemingly convinces him, I guess. But he's basically like, has Michael contacted you? She's like, no. Why? Has he contacted you? He's like, no. He's like, a little late. I don't know what's going on. But just like, to be clear, he hasn't contacted you in any secret ways. And she's like... No. And she looks so sad that Dr. Cox is like, okay, fair enough. I'll see you later. <laughs> Back on the plane, the gang waits. And then Esteban, the kid that they got the phone from, uses his new rifle scope to call Sam and let him know that guys with guns are looking for them. So he's like, just in his house, I guess, looking through and calls his own old cell phone. And is like, hey, man, I don't think this was agreed upon beforehand. But like, I feel like I, on honor, have to let you know that some guys are after you. And Sam's like, cool. Thanks, kid. So then that's, he got, that's the end of the rifle scope plot. He got like, he got 20 bucks on a rifle scope out of it. I think that's fair. Yes, you know, yeah. bro code. Like, exactly. It's a good kid. <laughs> good kid. So the new plan is that Fee is going to stow away on the plane again, but this time like, like inside the plane and then get herself smuggled back onto the compound with the cocaine. And because they don't have much time, because like Vasquez is closing in on them until she can successfully get herself stowed away, uh, they have to hold Vasquez off just to like give her time to get into the airplane and like, you know, close herself into her hiding spot. So she's basically like, we're doing Trojan horse, but I don't have a lot of time. So hold him off as long as you can so that I can successfully do my Trojan horse bit. And they're like, cool, cool, cool. So that works out. There's some roadside bombs that they make in order to do this. And then Sam and Jesse get away clean and head back to the airfield by street. They end up getting there first and they see the plane coming in and they're like, hell yeah, things are going good. So the plan now is that Fiona is going to let them in and they're going to go like shoot their way into Michael. And then question mark, maybe get back on the plane, maybe get in the car and figure yeah. it out from there. The, like the actual escape plan is irrelevant, but like they needed a way to get back onto the compound to rescue Michael because they it seems clear that there's not going to be an exchange that happens. Right, yeah. They were going to give him the fish. They had every intention of giving him the fish. Yeah. But it seems like something else is going on. So they're like, well, fuck, we have to go rescue Michael then more directly. So Michael gets tortured a little bit more. Fee makes her way out of her Trojan cork. Tro Trojan, her Trojan cork? Trojan cork. 
Michael gets tortured a little bit more while Fee makes her way out of her Trojan horse coke plane, lets the other boys in. Gray doesn't like watching Michael get tortured because he's a good guy, okay? Did you notice? We said that in the last scene. So he tries to get on Vasquez's good side and convinces him. Gray does like a Darth Vader thing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's like, hey, I don't know why you're doing that, but I can help you find whatever it is. Like, I can do whatever, but like, you have to uncuff me. Like, I've given you good information, right? You found your plane, you have your coke back. Like, trust me, take my handcuffs off. And he's like, cool, take your handcuffs off. And obviously, because we're in the last 10 minutes of the episode, gray turncoats again, masculine eye contact is back on the table. And he straight up murders Vasquez and the guard that was in the room with them. Because again, he does love to kill people. He really does love to kill people. But he's, you know, he's an assassin for the government. Exactly. And he only kills bad people. And he now believes that Michael is not bad people because he says the guy who it was in the file that I read wouldn't have gotten tortured to save his friends. Yeah. So Michael's stoic torture taking and constant sort of slurred, I don't speak Spanish, really got through to him. Yeah. Um, so that's nice. Then they go and try to shoot their way out of the compound, but are pinned down. And the guys that are pinning them down are shouting something in Spanish. And Michael's yelling back, I don't speak Spanish. And Gray's like, you should probably learn Spanish. I still feel like, it still feels like we manifested this. I know. Every time it comes up, I'm like, that was us. We did that somehow. Like, I don't know how that happened. Like, it had to have been that, like... We the just people... picked up on the thing that they decided to use as the beginning of the bit. Yeah, or even just, like, they did the same thing that we did, where they looked at that scene and that where we made that mm-hmm. joke. Which is, like, was like, season two, and Michael's talking, like, on a on a walkie-talkie yeah. as a Spanish assassin, but for some reason speaking in English. Exactly, where it just, like, it really makes no sense that he would not be speaking Spanish right now, and then decided that the... The only reason that that could make sense is if Michael just didn't speak Spanish. And then somebody pitches that as a joke and they're like, oh, that's consistent. So yeah, yeah, let's do it. I think that had to have been it. It had to have been it, except for the fact that obviously the thing that actually happened is that we manifested it. We manifested it. We manifested it at 10 years in the past. We put it on our vision board. Yeah. And we sent it back to the future. That was, we could, we could communicate with the past and Mm -hmm. that was what we did with it. Yep. That and we planted a painting at a Goodwill. That's true. We did do that. So really, we're using our powers for good, as you notice. As Gray is like lecturing Michael on learning Spanish, Fee and Sam light the guys on fucking fire. So definitely murdering two more people (laughs) to give them and their escape. Their favorite pilot, Rico, is ready to get out of the coke business. And in a flurry of bullets, once again, they all take off. But luckily, everyone stays on the airplane this time. So they can actually leave the country, finally. They tensely all agree to keep working together because Dr. Cox would never suspect that Tyler Gray and Michael Weston would work together. How could he think that Michael Weston would ever work with the man that killed his brother? Even though Michael Weston has worked with people under, like, arguably worse circumstances. Like, I feel like Michael yeah. has worked with a lot of people who are, like, actively, like, terrible yeah, and course. have done something personally bad to him. Yeah, no, this is what Michael does. Mm-hmm. But maybe not the Michael that Dr. Cox knew when he was training him. Right, yeah. Because everyone seems to have an idea of Michael Weston in their head that is never consistent with who he actually is, which is a boring beige version. Yeah, which is the bathroom <laughs> side of a man. <laughs> exactly. Back in Miami, Madeline greets them as they get off the plane, and um, we learn that she doesn't yet know that Gray is the same man who killed her son. He's just some CIA asset, question mark shrug, which will, of course, come back to bite Michael in the ass the same way that it always does, for one or two episodes, and then all is going to be 
fine. And spoiler alert, that's exactly what happens. Of course. (laughs) Spoiler alert, this is a nothing. I think it's interesting that they're setting up, like, that Michael is not telling her that, hey, one of the people we smuggled out of Panama that you helped us with is the guy that actively murdered your son. And I thought that there'd be something more with that. But then, of course, they give the reveal to fucking Jason Tracy. So, no, nothing is going to happen with it. No. Final scene. Sam and Michael stake out a meeting between Cox and Gray because the game is afoot. And so they're like, all right, it's a thing now. We're, uh, Gray is our double agent. So, okay. That's the end of the episode, but, like, before we get into spy tips, what the fuck is going on? Why does Cox want Michael dead? Why was this whole thing a charade? Because, like, presumably, this is something that happened before Anson was killed. Like, because at some point in the past, Tyler Gray was given a file that says Michael Weston's a bad dude. Yeah. At what point was that file given to him? Because that timeline is actually really hey, important. This is exactly the sort of thing that I wanted the episode to tell me, and when I found out, like, five minutes in that it wasn't going to tell me, I stopped watching it before. Also... There's a choice that this episode makes that, like, watching it at first, I kind of didn't like it, but I'm kind of coming around to it, and we'll talk about this more next week, wherein, to be very clear, like, up until this episode, I assume, like, once we hit the reveal that Tom Card was a bad guy, I assumed Tom Card killed Nate on purpose. Right. And, but the reveal in this episode is that, no, that was just an accident. Yeah, it was legit just a terrible accident. Yeah. And I, how do you feel about that? Well, so I always assumed, like, my, if you'll remember, my initial pitch was that it was Lauren, uh, Lauren Stamiles. Yeah. I forgot her name is Stamile. Stamile, yeah. Uh, Lauren Stamile, it, it, was a, it was a terrible accident that, like, they just, like, made a bad decision because they couldn't not make it because they right. needed to kill Anson and Nate was in the way and like the cover-up was gonna be the next big thing right yeah. which is kind of what's happening but the dumbest version of it it's so like I'm fine version. that Nate died for no reason because he's nothing right <laughs> he's a garbage man who died in garbage and like that's fine for me but what I'm annoyed by is that there's no motive the only motive that the yeah. show has presented to us is that in quote unquote investigating Nate's murder, they decided to just stop doing that because it's embarrassing to them because it was an accident. Yeah. But Michael kept pushing, and now people are gonna have to notice that, like, hey, we put a civilian in harm's way. And- no, yeah, but that doesn't make sense because, yeah, like you're saying, it seems like Card had plans way before this. Like, it doesn't right. seem like. Although I guess I don't. I guess that he could have given him the dossier after Michael made it clear that he wasn't going to stop poking around and, like, pointing guns at FBI agents at bath- in bathrooms and being like, who killed my brother? What's happening? So, like, maybe Card I mean, thought it would just be fine. And they're like, well, nobody likes Nate anyway, so nobody's going to deal with it. But once it became clear that Michael was going to continue investigating, he gave Tyler Gray the, the, the manifesto or whatever. Or maybe he didn't even do it then. Maybe it was as soon as Michael started sniffing around the sniper rifle place. Maybe. Because Tyler Gray knew that he was doing that. Presumably Tyler Gray then reported to his higher up, like, hey, someone's sniffing around. And that's when Card was like, here is a file. He's actually a bad guy. So maybe he had this as like a plan Z or something. It's possible. That's the only thing that makes sense. I mean. It doesn't seem like that's what's happening. I mean, it's tough because like. But like the whole thing is just you don't want to be embarrassed because you killed a guy nobody likes. No, I don't think that's what it is, though. But like in order to talk about that, we'd have to talk about next week. And we'll talk about next week, next week. 
<laughs> as the saying goes. Um, but that's the only thing that I can conceivably think of happens. Well, no, because like, because like, why else would he turn on Michael? There's literally no other like, reason. Again, based on next week, which is next week, <laughs> but also it's I think it's, it's reasonable to make an assumption that maybe Card's play is that he wants to be the new Anson. I don't think that's it, though. We'll talk about... I, mean, I, I think we need to table this until we'll next take, week. I think we'll, yeah, let's talk about... Because I had that thought, too, but that also doesn't make sense. Well, we'll talk about next week, next week. Let's talk about this oh, week's Oh, no, tips. you're right. Okay, I'm sort of remembering. Yeah. But yeah, this episode should have explained more, and it didn't. It did explain nothing. No, and I knew... Again, I knew within five minutes that it was going to explain nothing. Yeah, it's kind of a transitionary episode. Yeah. Which is confusing. Exactly. <laughs> but I, I liked it. So I let's, did like it, though. Let's talk let, about Spy Tips. Let's talk about Spy Tips. So Spy Tips, there were... Not as many. I have six to present to you. Okay. I don't know if at least two of them are actually anything. Let's find out. Let's this find is how out. We, this is how we do it. So number one, efficient cocaine smuggling operations can process, package, and distribute their product without losing track of a single gram. They rely on highly trained guards, controlled access points, and workers stripped down so they can't steal their product unless they're a dude and nobody wants to see that. Conveniently, the same rooms that keep drugs safe are also great for stashing prisoners. I mean... There's a lot here. There's a lot there. I'll take it. Yeah. We can... There's something I can do with all of that information. Yeah, exactly. All right. Number two... And that is, if you need to see someone naked really quickly... (laughs) Go... Just ask somebody for cocaine and go to their distribution center. Yeah. And get somebody to walk you into the distribution center so that, you know, everything's fine. Or, you know, just start smuggling cocaine. Yeah, that's true. That seems like the easiest way to do it. Yeah. I I imagine you'll get a lot of friends that way. (laughs) Number two, one of the biggest problems for any drug smuggler is the drug detection dog. Their noses can be up to 10,000 times more sensitive than a human's, which makes it necessary to mask the smell with something else. So, like, if you're smuggled into a, a, a small hole in prison, you just throw some cigarettes out and right. they'll go straight for that, for sure. Uh, which also makes it necessary to mask the smell for something else. In Colombia, this means coffee. In Panama, it's often the catch of the day. These, these, those two things felt specific, so mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. Now I know how to smuggle cocaine. Exactly. Depending on what, if I'm in one of these two countries. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think... I guess you could do it with... Depend, it doesn't have to just be those countries. No, I think it's more just like, these are things that they have in these countries. Mm-hmm. It's not like, those are the rules. <laughs> if, you, if you smuggle cocaine in Colombia with fish, you're a fucking loser. Nobody will deal with you. It's like, what's all this fish for? This, <laughs> this is Colombia. <laughs> What does this look like, Panama? (laughs) We don't have fish here. It's Colombia. Yeah. All right. Number three. They say, whatever kills you only makes you stronger. But when it comes to torture devices, that's pretty much never true. The Pacana Electrica delivers shocks at only one one thousandth of an amp. It's completely non-lethal, but at 15,000 volts, it's so painful you wish it was. Love a shopping list tip. (laughs) Now we know what torture device to get. Yeah. Number four, hiding personal. I love, what I like about this shopping, this like shopping list tip here, is that like it's really just a cattle prod, mm-hmm. but it's like it's like the a Price Is Right description of a cattle prod, <laughs> <laughs> and like just with the name the Pecana Electrica, like it sounds like it sounds like a thing that you should win in a game show in the seventies <laughs> to spice up your sex life. Yeah. All right, number four. This is the other one that I'm like, mm, is it though? Hiding personal feelings when coming face-to-face with an enemy is one of the biggest challenges for any operative. The trick is to mask one emotion with another. Hiding anger with excitement, for example, or ice-cold hatred with motherly concern. I think we can keep that. I think, like, there's... That's actionable. 
Yeah, but is it enough? I mean, he gives us two examples, which is, I guess, useful, yeah. but, like, is anger the, is excitement the best way to cover up anger? I mean, like, I think the... It's, like, out, it covers up outbursts. Yeah, I think, like, the, the main thrust of the tip is, like, you can't hide it. Mm-hmm. You can only redirect it. I was about to say redirect, too. Okay, exactly. cool. Yeah. So that's why that's why I kept it in. So you yeah. seem amenable. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that, yeah. Great. So number five, an anti-vehicle mine is only effective if it stops your target, which means knocking out the engine block or a wheel. If you're short on supplies, a heavy gauge slug and some smaller metal projectiles should do the trick, as long as you guess correctly about where the target will be. I'll take this. this yeah, roadside solid. bomb. Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. That's number five. So that is at least five practical spy tips. All right. Did we solve the weekly case of escaping Panama through spycraft over violence? We did bribe a child. We bribed we robbed a child. We bribed a child, we bribed a as child. Tyler Gray would say. <laughs> as noted Southern actor Tyler Gray. Um, Madeline did some spy stuff. Uh, they they have so few resources. Yeah, I think it's a spycraft. Yeah, it's like it's spyish. Yeah, I'll take yeah, it. They did some spy stuff. There was no alias. He, no. he comes out and says it. I'm Michael Weston. Yeah. Hello. Nice to meet I you. Used to, I used to be spy. Thank you very much. <laughs> if you have some time, it's actually a great story. Uh, okay. Or at least. Yeah, maybe. Maybe like seven seasons worth of time. <laughs> well, six and a half so far. Six and a half. <laughs> Unless we're saying that Michael Weston can see into the future. I think Michael Weston can see into the future. <laughs> and that's uh, why he's so like nonplussed about everything. He's like, I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. I, I think I get out of this alive. And Nate's going to die. And that yeah. seems actually fine for me. Yeah, exactly. That's so why he's so chill about he, it. Yeah, because he's he's already grieved. He's already dealt with it. Yeah, he's grieved. I'm sure he grieved. <laughs> but he grieved like 10 years ago when he learned right. it would happen. Exactly. And now it's just like, it's an inevitability. You're already dead in my eyes. You are nothing to me. So speaking of other characters, are at least two supporting characters used well? Does Fee get to blow something up or get to be the protagonist? She does blow up the fire. The fire, then. yeah. That works, yeah. She, she kills two men and a fi- two men in a fire explosion, uh-huh. proving that she has learned nothing. Exactly. <laughs> uh, does Sam get to be peak Bruce Campbell? Not really. He's not. Yeah, he's kind of just side side sidewinder. Right. Yeah. Not really anything. Uh, does Jesse a distinct addition rather than a redundancy? I mean, he does some Jesseisms. Uh, a little bit. I don't know if it's like he doesn't do a ton either, though. Yeah. Like they're they're kind of sidelined because Madeline gets to be part of the case of the week and gets several genuine emotional moments with other characters. So Madeline definitely used well. Exactly. So and yeah. Fee and Madeline. Anytime two of them are used particularly well or even somewhat well, the other two in the ensemble have to kind of take a backseat. Exactly. So unless it's like one of those rare, perfectly balanced, and these are usually like big plot episodes mm-hmm. that are like about balancing a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not what this episode no, is. No, it's not. But Madeline did get to do the case of the week and has some genuine emotional moments. So, yeah. 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 Good shit. That's, that's a great episode of Burn Notice right there, folks. Was this, however, a great episode of television? I mean, it wasn't, but it was fine. Yeah, I think like it was really fun. It wasn't quite tight enough to be, like, bad breaksy. Yeah, in... it wasn't, like... The structure of it was not, like... So good as to be noteworthy. Yeah, like representative of like this is how to structure a exactly. exciting television and episode. Like the story that's telling is not like a particularly noteworthy story. Right, because nothing yeah. is really changing. No, yeah. Like like we said, it's a transitionary episode. Exactly. And it's a very good one. Yeah. Perfectly like a... serviceable. Exactly. Better than most, but not a great episode of television. No, unfortunately not. That is not a great episode of television, uh, my dear friend of me, Michael Horowitz. But I had fun with it. I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed watching it, too. 
All right, cool. Well, uh, that's it for us. Thanks again to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. You can find more of Vince's music at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week, where apparently we're queuing up several conversations, and in fact, our last episode recorded in 2021, uh, bye-bye. Stay tuned. Boring, but okay. Yeah, it's fine. Also serviceable. Yeah.